This is Tina Douglas, and you're listening to the Liam Photography Podcast with your host, my husband, Liam Douglas. Enjoy! Greetings, everybody, and welcome to the Liam Photography Podcast. I'm your host, Liam Douglas, and this is episode 92. I want to take a moment right now to thank all of my listeners for subscribing, rating, and reviewing in Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and anywhere else you might be getting your podcasts, and to remind you to check out the Liam Photography Podcast Facebook group, which I'll talk more about at the tail end of this episode. So this week's episode is new, the latest news and rumors from the big four camera rumor sites. And we're going to start off with Canon rumors. And let's see what we have for this week. Let's do this. Okay, a bit of a refresher on what's next from Canon. This article was posted on Canon Rumors on September 25th, 2020. The pandemic has certainly changed the cycle of product announcements and getting the gear to market. I see some positive things with stock on the EOS R5 and R6, and hopefully there are plenty of the Canon Cinema EOS C70 cameras to go around in November. The pre-orders for the latter have already been, or have been, really positive. A lot of you to continue to ask what's up next from Canon. I do these posts from time to time as a reminder and hopefully bring some clarity to things. Near future cameras. The Canon Cinema EOS C50. This was apparently supposed to be announced alongside the EOS C70, but has been delayed, likely due to manufacturing challenges. For the moment, I do expect to see this camera. I uh, don't, ex- uh, don't expect to see this camera until the first quarter of 2021. He had a typo there, so I apologize. The Canon XF505, also supposed to be announced in 2020, and I'm not sure when we can expect it to actually be announced. The Canon XC20, there's a pattern here. This was also to be a 2020 announcement. I think it has been pushed back to early 2021. The Canon EOS M50 Mark II. I haven't heard anything about this camera in quite some time. It was scheduled for a fourth quarter 2020 announcement. There is a ton of mixed information about the EOS M lineup out there right now, and I'm not sure what's true at the moment. I hope to learn more soon. Under accessories, a new flagship speedlight. This has been delayed numerous times, I have been told. I'm not sure where when we're going to see it. PL to RF adapter with cookie slash I or cook slash I. This was supposed to be announced along t- alongside the speed booster with the EOS C70, but has obviously been delayed. EF cinema lock to RF, same as above. User interchangeable RF mount for Cinema EOS cameras. This was also supposed to be announced at the same time as the Cinema EOS C70, but it has apparently been delayed to mid-2021 at the earliest. Lenses, the RF 70-200 F4 LIS USM. This should be announced sometime in 2020 before the end of the year. The RF 50mm F1.8 STM. This should also be announced uh, before the end of 2020. 
The Canon RF 100-400 f4.5-7.1 ISSTM. This lens will likely be announced in the first half of 2021. The Canon RF 18-45 f3.5-6.3. This will also likely be announced in the first half of 2021. The Canon RF 24 f2.8 IS Macro STM. This likely will be announced in the second half of 2021. The Canon RF 70-135 F2L USM. I do not have a guess as to when this lens is going to be announced, if at all. It has been mentioned to me so many times that I do believe it exists. There are obviously more rumored products, but this is the stuff I think is most likely to be coming. We're probably a couple of years from things normalizing to some degree, so announcements and shipping will be a moving target for the time being. And I have to agree with him on this. You know, with everything that happened with this pandemic this year, it's really thrown everything off for all of the major camera manufacturers. It's delayed production of cameras and lenses and all of that good stuff. You know, and of course, it's delayed shipping because of, you know, all the lockdowns in various countries and things like that. So it is exciting to hear about all of these new items that Canon does have in the pipeline. And we'll just have to see how many of them flush out and how early will some of these still come out in 2020 we still got a few months yet before the end of the year maybe some of them would be be announced in the fourth quarter as holiday gift ideas you know with promotional pricing or something like that i'm still fairly certain that the eos r5 and r6 will get a slash in their prices for the holiday shopping season which is when i'm hoping to pick up my r6 but for the time being we will just have to wait and see how all of this works out Next up, Venus Optics unveils three new ultra-wide cinema lenses for Canon RF mount cameras. Now, this article was updated on September 28th. Uh, uh, Anu, China, September 28th, 2020. Venus Optics, the camera lens manufacturer specialized in making unique camera lenses, added the Canon RF mount option to three of their new ultra-wide cinema lenses. They are the Laowa 9mm T2.90D, the Laowa 15mm T2.10D Sin lens, and the Laowa 12mm F2.90D. All three lenses feature the same optical system as the rest of the mounts and with the same close to zero distortion, which is why they're called the Zero D design. They are also built with robust cinema lens lenses housing. The new RF variants will be a very interesting wide angle option for Red Komodo, Canon EOS R5 and R6, and the new Canon Cinema C70 cameras. Ultra-wide field of view and fast aperture. All three Laowa Sin lenses feature an ultra-wide angle of view and fast aperture. The 9mm T2.9 features an approximate 113-degree field of view on Super 35 sensors, while the 15mm T2.1 and the 12mm T2.9 feature 110 and 122-degree field of views, respectively, on cameras with full-frame sensors. The fast maximum T-stop is well-suited for filming under low light conditions. It also allows filmmakers to have more flexibility and depth of field control. 
Now with the close to zero distortion, all three lenses feature the distinguishing Laowa close to zero distortion, zero D design, where the optical distortion at infinity distance has been compressed to the minimum. This is extremely important for motion picture recording when shooting indoor architecture or footage with straight lines included. This also saves a tremendous amount of time in distortion correction in post-processing. Compact and lightweight. All three wide-angle prime lenses are extremely compact and lightweight. The 9mm weighs only 0.5 pounds or 226 grams. The 15mm is around 1.2 pounds or 540 grams. And the 12mm is around 1.49 pounds or 675 grams. On the contrary to the huge and heavy wide-angle lenses in the market, the new Laowa Cinema lenses are extremely handy for run-and-gun productions, shooting with gimbals, FPVs, in-car shots, aerial videography, underwater videography, etc. Close focusing distance. All three Laowa Sin lenses possess an extremely close focusing distance. This provides a great deal of flexibility for directors to compose shots at any distance. Filmmakers can also take advantage of this close focusing to create some wide-angle shots with shallower depth of field. The 9mm can focus as close as 4.7 inches or 12 centimeters, while the 12mm can focus up to 7.09 inches or 18 centimeters from the sensor to subject. The 15mm instead can focus up to 5.9 inches or 15 centimeters. The industry standard cinema lens housing. The major difference between the new cinema version and the still version is the improved housing. The new cinema lens housing has been designed with details to facilitate filmmakers to shoot with ease. Both the aperture and focus rings have been built with industry standard 0.8 mod pitch gears for pairing up with follow focus motors. The aperture ring is now clickless for smooth iris control. Every one of Laowa Cinema lenses comes with a filter thread for filmmakers to use screw-in filters in mini matte boxes. The entire lens body is made by premium grade aluminum built for usage in extreme environments. Hassle-free transportation, an authentic hard case made by Pelican will be included with the lens to allow filmmakers to travel around for shooting with ease. A variety of mount options, the 9mm T 2.90D Cinema is also available in Fuji X, Sony E-mount, and Micro Four Thirds. The 15mm T 2.10D is also available in Sony FE mount. The 12mm T 2.90D is also available in EF, PL, and Sony FE mount. Laowa Wide Angle Cinema Lenses Lineup Venus Optics currently offers four wide angle cinema lenses for cinema cameras with different sensor sizes. As far as pricing and availability, all three SIN lenses are currently available to purchase via Venus Optics' official website at www.venuslens.net uh, and authorized resellers. The U.S. price for the 9mm is $599, uh, $1,199 um, for the 15mm T2.1 and $1,499 for the 12mm T2.1. T2.9 pricing varies in different countries, of course. Product shots and sample images, more marketing materials, product shots and sample images can be found from below Google Drive link.
and I'll include a link to this story in the show notes so that you can check it out for yourself. Uh, there is also some sample footage, video footage, uh, that was taken using these lenses, so you'll be able to check that out as well. Definitely some exciting news from Venus Optics and their Lawa Lens lineup. As I've told my listeners before, I have the Venus Optics Lawa 17mm f4.0D for my GFX 50R and absolutely love that lens. So it's always exciting to, for me and most any photographer, anytime a third-party lens builder comes out with new glass, um, whether it's for new cameras or new uh, videography or photography types, is always exciting. So definitely some good news for those that shoot cinema and might be interested in these new wide-angle Lawa lenses. Next up, Canon has purchased a Fujitsu FX1000 supercomputer to go, no prototype in product development. It looks like Canon is moving forward with their non-prototype product development with the purchase of a Fujitsu FX1000 supercomputer. Canon will take delivery of the system in the first half of 2021. I would imagine this will help lower development costs as well as make the development of new products more efficient and most likely quicker. The official press release from Tokyo, September 22nd, 2020, Fujitsu Limited today announced that it has received an order for a new supercomputer from Canon Inc., the system consists of a Fujitsu supercomputer PRIME HPC FX1000 unit, which harnesses top-class technology from the world's fastest supercomputer, Fugaku, which was jointly, jointly developed by Riken and Fujitsu. The new supercomputer will achieve an expected theoretical computational performance of 648.8 teraflops. Upon completion, the supercomputer will play a key role in contributing to Canon's initiative of no prototype product development, delivering enhanced capabilities and scope of applicability of analysis in Canon's product development process. This system is planned to begin operations in the first half of 2021, and I'll include a link to the full press release in the show notes for this episode so that you can check it out for yourself. Next up, Canon USA officially announces the Canon Cinema EOS C70. This article is from September 24th, 2020. Melville, New York, September 24th, 2020. Canon USA Inc., a leader in digital imaging solutions, is excited to announce the company's first ever RF mount cinema EOS camera, the EOS C70 4K digital cinema camera. When the Canon RF mount was first introduced, imaging professionals began to dream about the possibilities that this revolutionary mount system might provide them. One request that Canon consistently heard was to put an RF mount on a cinema EOS camera so that future lens performance could capitalize on the short flange depth. Just two years later, those wishes have come true with the new C70 camera. The unique design of the EOS C70 camera puts a significant emphasis on operational convenience for the end user. The small form factor weighing only 2.6 pounds allows the camera to be easily handheld and dramatically enhances a videographer's mobility, providing a seamless bridge between the EOS and cinema EOS families for cinematic applications. Cleverly designed, the new camera features a slim motorized ND filter unit having a mere 6mm depth that is built into the short flange back of the RF mount. Uh, 
The motorized 10-stop ND filter users provides users with the ability to control exposure while keeping the desired depth of field and capturing images that feature that desired level of bokeh. 13 customizable buttons allow users to select from more than 80 functions to be assigned based on individual preferences. Quote, the Canon EOS C70 camera is truly a special tool that would undoubtedly satisfy and delight a variety of users on the search for a high-powered piece of video equipment, said Tatsuro or Tony Kano, Executive Vice President and General Manager of Canon USA's Imaging Technologies and Communications Group. Quote, in today's fast-moving, ever-changing world of filmmaking and content creation, versatility is key, and the EOS C70 will provide a familiar form and feature set to our entire spectrum of imaging customers. We are eager to see how creatives use this tool and the projects that come from it, end quote. The camera features Canon's innovative and next-generation Super 35mm DGO sensor that further extends the high dynamic range and lowers noise levels by reading out each photodiode with two different gains. One gain prioritizes saturation, protecting detail in highlight areas, while the other suppresses noise in the shadows. The result is an image of up to 16-plus stops of total dynamic range, clean, rich shadows, and vibrant highlights in up to 4K 60p or 2K 120p in Super 16mm crop mode. The EOS C70 camera also features Canon's recently developed Digic DV7 image processor that collects the extensive information captured from the DGO sensor and processes it into exceptional HDR imagery while offering choices between Canon Log 2 and 3, in addition to PQ and HG, uh, HLG gamma functionality. The camera, the C70 camera, can also record 4K DCI or UHD up to 120 frames per second and 2K DCI or HD up to 180 frames per second with an important flexibility in the choice of codecs. The camera supports XF-AVC format and variable bitrate, both intra and long GOP with MXF file format. The intra-frame format compresses the data after analyzing each frame separately, while log GOP format compresses data at a higher rate, creating an even smaller file size. A secondary choice is long GOP 10-bit 422-420, MP4 slash HEVC, a next-generation HDR video recording compression standard, with a MP4 file format, a first in the Cinema EOS line. The camera's independent air intake system is separated from the electrical system to protect the sensor from water, sand, and dust. In addition, the camera also features two air outlet vents that allow uninterrupted recording for extended periods of time. Additional features of the Canon EOS C70 4K digital cinema camera include new direct touch menu system, coordinated electronic image stabilization, two built-in mini XLR inputs, time code input output terminal, custom picture processing via import of 3D LUTs and recording to look files, dual SD card slots, built-in stereo mic, support for optional Canon RC-V100 remote control. Canon mount adapter EF EOS R0.71X. 
The Canon Mount Adapter EF-EOS-R0.71X is a new optical adapter that allows users to tap into Canon's extensive collection of superb full-frame EF lenses when operating the EOS C70 camera. The adapter implements two critically important functions, preserving the similar full-frame wide-angle image on the 4K Super 35 image sensor while simultaneously elevating the lens camera sensitivity by one stop. The mount adapter preserves full electronic communication between the lens and the camera, enabling optical lens corrections and transfer of lens metadata between the EOS C70 camera and select Canon EF lenses. Pricing and availability, the Canon EOS C70 4K digital cinema camera is scheduled to be available in November 2020 for an estimated retail price of $5,499. The Canon mount adapter EF EOS R0.71X is scheduled to be available in December of 2020 for an estimated retail price of $599.99. So this is definitely some exciting news. We had heard for a while now uh, in the rumors um, from this site that there was a Cinema C70 camera coming, and now Canon has officially announced it. Um, it is exciting news because of the fact that the pricing is so reasonable on this compared to some of the other Cinema cameras. We hope you're enjoying this episode of the Liam Photography Podcast. You can visit the homepage for the show at liamphotographypodcast.com. Additionally, you can call or text the show with comments, questions, or future episode requests at area code 470-294-8191. You can email the show at liam at liamphotographypodcast.com. Also, be sure to check out the Liam Photography Podcast Facebook group, and you can find us on Twitter at liamphoto you can tweet us there. Just insert the hashtag Liam Photo Podcast. All right, now back to the show. Especially when you look at something like the EOS C300 Mark II, which retails for about $10,000, and the C500 uh, is even more expensive yet at, I think, about fifteen dollars or $20,000. So it's definitely exciting news that there's going to be a Cinema EOS camera that's going to be considerably less expensive than the C300 and still offer cinematographers a lot of flexibility and capabilities. Next up, the RF mount mirrorless version of the EOS 1DX Mark III is coming in 2021. This was updated on September 24th, 2020. I posted yesterday about Sony beating Canon to the Pro Body Punch. Think EOS 1DX Mark III. When I say Pro Body, integrated battery grip, larger battery, and built better than G-Wagon. I have been told by a great source that Canon will definitely be announcing an RF mount mirrorless version of the EOS 1DX Mark III in 2021, likely in the second half of the year. Please keep in mind the current global uncertainty could obviously delay things. At the time of this writing of writing this, though, this info is as good as gold. I will call the camera the EOS R1, which seems like a logical nomenclature for the king of the RF mount camera bodies. The only information I have been told about the camera spec-wise is that it will not recycle the EOS 1DX Mark III sensor 
Stay tuned as there will be more to come in the future. So again, this is an exciting announcement. I'm kind of surprised because I thought maybe with the EOS 1DX Mark III releasing at the beginning of this year, that Canon might wait until 2022 to release an EOS R1 1DX mirrorless replacement. But it looks like they're going to get it out right onto it and try to get it out to the market next year. So that is exciting news for pro sports and wildlife photographers that an EOS R1, which is what I'm going to call it as well, will be coming out to replace and retire the 1DX line. Now, as he mentioned in this article, it's only logical to call it the EOS R1 because so far Canon has been naming their newest cameras after the EOS line DSLRs they've been replacing. They discontinued the EOS 5D with the 5D Mark IV, as well as the 5D SNSR, and they released the R5, and the R6 is basically the replacement for the EOS 6D and 6D Mark II. So it only makes sense that they'll more than likely name this new flagship sports body the EOS R1, or maybe the R1X, but we'll have to wait and see. Certainly some exciting news. Is Sony going to beat Canon to the pro mirrorless camera punch? A new report from our friend at Photo Rumors has Sony bringing a, quote, pro mirrorless body in the first quarter of 2021. It would be a huge deal for Canon shooters waiting for an EOS R1, a camera I do think has to come from Canon in 2021. The, quote, pro designation on a camera body means it has an integrated grip to house a much bigger battery. It also gives more space inside the camera to add higher end cooling solutions and ergonomics. The rumored Sony Pro Body specifications, bigger and truly Pro Body, 9.44 million dot EVF, newly developed sensor, 8K video recording with no overheating, dual card slots, new menu system from the A7S 3 IBIS with steady shot active mode. Everything about this camera is new. Price is rumored to be $5,999. It was also reported that there are some of these pro Sony bodies out in the wild. Sadly, I haven't heard anything specific about the Canon EOS R1. So again, this is an exciting bit of news, especially if you're a Sony shooter. It looks like Sony may beat Canon to the punch on a super high-end pro sports body. But again, this is all rumors, so we're going to have to wait and see. Will Sony beat Canon to the punch in early 2021 with Canon not releasing theirs until late 2021 we don't know yet we'll just have to wait and see but it's exciting news for everybody rumors of a canon eos r5c and eos r5s now this was updated on september 22nd while we have had numerous mentions of a high resolution eos r camera coming down the pipeline canon watch is reporting that canon will also introduce a video focused EOS R camera, which will be different than the upcoming EOS C50 and EOS C70s. I am calling the cameras the EOS R video and the EOS R high resolution. A, a direct quote of specifications, the EOS R video has the same sensor technology as the EOS R5, but with half the resolution. The EOS R video records 4K 120p with no crop does have 2.8K super sampling and super 35 mode. Both have a newly developed heat sinks. EOS high resolution has a double width resolution sensor of EOS R6. This would put the resolution at 80 megapixels if I'm understanding that correctly. 
The EOS high resolution does 12 frames per second, dual pixel AF performance and low light better than the R5 and R6. The EOS high resolution monster being hybrid for quality and speed. While I know a high resolution EOS R camera is in the pipeline, I'm not too sure about a video focused EOS R camera. We have both the EOS C50 and C70 RF mount cinema cameras on the horizon, and from the outside, it looks like Canon wants to segment video cameras and still in hybrid cameras. Stranger things have happened, though. Now, I do find this one especially interesting, and if Canon does release a more video-centric uh, mirrorless body, it's going to be in direct competition with Sony's A7S III, which just came out. And this would not surprise me because, like I said, going forward, because right now Canon's number one, Sony's number two in the camera world, and these two are going to keep butting heads. They're going to keep trying to leapfrog and outdo each other, just like Canon and Nikon did for decades in the DSLR world. So I definitely see this as a really strong possibility that Canon is going to release a video-centric version of the EOS R to better compete with Sony's A7S III. But again, this is all stuff we're going to have to wait and see in 2021. Now we're going to move on to Nikon rumors for this week. Nikon teases new Z6 and Z7 Mark II mirrorless cameras for October 14th. Nikon USA has a countdown on their website for the upcoming Nikon Z6 and Z7 Mark II mirrorless cameras called The Next Chapter. The official announcement will be on October 14th. No other information was provided at this time. I have been reporting for a while that Nikon will announce incremental updates to the current Z6, Z7 models in October. I also reported that something may happen around September 29th to 30th, but I guess we just got a teaser. The same post contains also the latest rumored Z6, Z7 Mark II specifications. And I'll include a link to this in the show notes for the episode. I'm kind of surprised that Nikon um, with the Z6 and Z7 are just coming out with the Mark II, a, a slight update on both the models. I thought maybe they were going to come out with uh, something different, kind of like the way Canon did with the R5 and R6, replacing the R and RP. They went with not only more advanced cameras, but total different naming convention for the most part. Um, and maybe that's because, like I said in the previous segment, um, they're replacing the 5D line and the 6D line from the DSLR market. So maybe that makes sense. Um, now, I do know that Nikon has the Z5, which is another full-frame mirrorless body coming out that's a little more entry-level, I believe. And they've also released some APS-C uh, Z-mount bodies as well. So it's definitely exciting. Um, we'll have to wait and see what the official announcement entails, if these cameras are going to be a serious bump up from the first generation or if they're just going to be incremental updates. Um, like I said, only time will tell. October 14th is not too far away, so we won't have to wait super long to find out all the details. Next up, new FunLeader 18mm f8 cap lens for full-frame Z-mount mirrorless cameras. After a successful Kickstarter, the FunLeader 18mm f8 cap lens for full-frame Z-mount mirrorless cameras is now available for purchase on eBay and at MyFunLeader. Here are the details. The focal length is 18mm, the aperture is f8, 
Field of view is 100 degrees. Closest focusing distance is 0.8 meters. Construction is six elements in four groups. The coating is multi-coated. Body material is aluminum. The weight is about 80 grams. The size is 62 millimeters by 15 millimeters. And the uh, image that's included with this article says the slimmest street photography lens, the fun leader cap lens, 18 millimeter f8.0. Um, it, this is an interesting design. I would definitely be interested in something like this in the RF mount because I love to do street photography. And 18 millimeters is pretty wide. I think it's a little bit too wide for street photography, but this would make a phenomenal real estate lens. Um, and I'll explain why, because the way we shoot real estate, we always have our aperture set at f8, so everything in the room is in focus at the same time. You don't have any blurred areas or anything like that. So having an 18 millimeter lens that's at a default f8 would be fantastic. And it's super small, super thin, super lightweight. Um, so this would definitely be something that would be exciting. Now, it doesn't say here if it has autofocus or if it's manual focus only. Um, I'm assuming it's probably manual focus being it is so thin. But again, this would definitely be an exciting lens to have for real estate. Um, it's an interesting take. I'll have to look into it a little bit more and see if maybe there's any talk about whether or not they may do an RF mount version of it as well. Next up, Nikon partnered with the Boston Red Sox to install a state-of-the-art robotic pod camera system from Mark Roberts Motion Control at Fenway Park. Now, this article is from September 26th. Yesterday, Nikon announced that they have partnered with the Boston Red Sox to install a state-of-the-art robotic pod camera system from Mark Roberts Motion Control. MRMC is a Nikon company throughout Fenway Park to capture still images and full HD videos. According to Petapixel, Nikon Professional Services installed five robotic pods at various locations in the park. The weatherproof robotic pods contains a Nikon D5 DSLR, why not the D6, equipped with a Nikon AFS Nikkor 80-400mm f4.5-5.6 GEDVR lens. Now, there are some photographs of these pod cameras after they were installed. Other lenses can also be attached if needed, and here is the control interface. Additional information can be found at two different links in the press release below. And like I said, there are some more um, screen captures of all of this um, included in this article. And I'll include this article in the show notes for this episode. I'm not going to read the full details um, from Melville, New York, from Nikon's announcement, because it's a fairly lengthy document. But like I said, there'll be a link to this article in the show notes so that you can check it out for yourself. Nikon Photo Contest 2020-2021 Call for Entries The 2020-2021 Nikon Photo Contest will open on October 22, 2020 at 12 a.m. And here is the full press release. Melville, New York, Nikon Inc. is pleased to announce that submissions for the 38th Nikon Photo Contest will open on October 22, 2020 at 12 a.m. Eastern Daylight Time. Started in 1969, the Nikon Photo Contest is currently the world's largest international photo contest and provides an opportunity for creators to connect through visual storytelling and to enrich imaging culture. 
Entries for the contest will be evaluated by a prestigious group of individuals, including world-renowned art director Neville Brody, who has been selected to return as lead judge for a third consecutive year. Neville Brody is an inspirational figure whose work spans over three decades and continues to inspire the next generation of emerging artists. Additional judges will be announced on the 2020-2021 contest website as they are appointed. Quote, in these challenging times, we need creative and cultural opportunities to remind us of our humanity and resilience, both celebrating and observing the planet and our communities in a new way, said lead judge Neville Brody. Quote, the Nikon Photo Contest is one of the most respected and key opportunities to explore these questions and possible ways of thinking where imagination meets connection. This will be the third time I have been asked to lead the jury for this year's competition, and I am humbled and honored to be given this new challenge and responsibility. The Nikon Photo Contest has evolved in these few years, dynamically embracing change and a greater, more direct connection with the human spirit. Entering the contest will provide an amazing window for your work. We are looking for your creative, dynamic, and personal views and hope to provide a platform to help you share that excellence with the world hope, both professionally and publicly, end quote. The 2020-2021 Nikon Photo Contest will be comprised of a photo competition and a short film competition, which will be open to all professionals and amateur photographers. Entries to both competitions will be accepted in two categories, including open and next generation. The theme for the open category submissions is connect, in which individuals will be asked to showcase the unique connections they experience, highlight the bonds that connect people to the world, and explore the meaning of communication. The theme for the next generation category, which is open to photographers 25 years of age or younger, is passion, in which individuals will be asked to demonstrate their perspective on the way passion evokes action, empathy, and power to create change for the future. A total of 24 submissions will be honored with excellence awards and special encouragement awards, while one grand prize winner will be selected from the excellence award winners in each category. Additionally, Nikon employees will select one photo and one short film submission that pass the first round of judging to be named as Nikon Selection Award winners. Award recipients will receive a certification in addition to a cash prize and or one of Nikon Z-series mirrorless cameras, depending on the award. The announcement of winners for the 2020-2021 Nikon Photo Contest is scheduled for July of 2021. Uh, there's uh, some more details on e- entry categories, but I'm not going to read all of that. I'll include a link to this article in the show notes so that you can check it out for yourself. All right, that is it for Nikon rumors for this week. Now we're going to move on to Fuji rumors. Next up from Tony Northrup, who will survive the mirrorless war? Fujifilm is safe, but Tony keeps doing one error with respect to Tony. Tony and Chelsea Northrup have updated their mirrorless predictions. In short, they are most optimistic about Canon and Sony, and they also think that Fujifilm is here to stay. About Fujifilm, they say, Fujifilm's stocks are doing great, unlike Nikon's stock, which saw a massive long-term drop. Fuji has a loyal fan base. When you get used to a Fuji and switch to something else, that something else feels ugly. Uh, Fujis are fun to shoot. The X-T3 sales are really strong. Fujifilm said the camera division needs to justify itself with profits. Cameras are 16% of overall Fujifilm company revenue. The X-T4 is $1,600, but there are full-frame cameras that are 
same price or cheaper like the Nikon Z5 and the Canon RP. Fuji should improve its autofocus. Fuji has less lens development than other camera brands. Tony says Fuji will stay in the game and is not worried about its future. Fuji will gain market share as Panasonic and Olympus will leave the camera industry, which of course Olympus already has. There will be lots of firmware updates and there will be a smaller GFX100. This is perfectly in line with the mirrorless shipments data we recently published where Sony, Canon, and Fujifilm were all on top. Now for where Tony is wrong. Disclaimer, this is not meant to be disrespectful towards Tony. I hope he takes it as a constructive argument that might add some food for thoughts. While I am happy that Tony and Chelsea look positive into Fuji's future, I still struggle to understand the point that Tony is trying to make so often in his videos. His point, there are full-frame cameras that cost the same or even cheaper than some APS-C cameras, hence APS-C will suffer, although facts say that APS-C mirrorless dominates full-frame. But I am surprised that he only looks at price and sensor size. It would be like saying that a basic equipped car that goes from 0 to 60 in 7 seconds is always better than a fully equipped car going from 0 to 60 in 8 seconds, even though the second car offers advanced autonomous driving, more comfort, more comfortable suspension, more airbags, more safety features, and less fuel consumption for the same price as the first car. You got the point. You simply can't ignore the overall feature package when you compare Canons or cameras. I'm sorry, uh, Canon RP or Nikon Z5 are cameras full of compromises and come nowhere near to the feature package that an XT4 offers. Not to talk about the Canon that, despite being full frame, has, for example, worse video dynamic range than a Fujifilm APS-C camera. Fact is, if you want the features of an XT4, do you dual UHS-C? Our UHS-2 SD card slots, 460, uh, 4K 60p, fast frame per second, blackout-free EVF, great video specs with tons of different video codecs, high megabits, high-res EVF, etc., and a full-frame camera body, then you go quickly and easily beyond the $2,500 price tag. Unless, unless what Tony wants to say is that people do not care about the overall package, but they base their buying decisions only looking at sensor size, no matter how many compromises the full-frame cheaper bodies make. Read here, Fujifilm APS-C is dead, Nikon Z5, Sony A7 III, Canon R6 versus the Fujifilm X-Series Art of Balance. And I'll include a link to this article in the show notes so you can check out these sub-articles. I also read here, the Sony A7C proves my point, full-frame compromises versus APS-C balance. The Panasonic fiasco, did Fujifilm well not, well, did Fujifilm well not to go full-frame? I apologize, it's a little bit of a weird heading there. Uh, much more dark are Tony's visions for the future, Panasonic and partially Nikon, and Olympus is already out, as I mentioned a moment ago. Let me say this. We know from official statements of Sigma CEO that he is disappointed with the progress of the full-frame L-mount alliance. Our report at Mirrorless Rumors here digs a bit deeper into the reasons for this unhappiness. This reminds me of a rather controversial article I wrote last year where I said that the Panasonic full-frame move was the perfect experiment to see if there would have been still space for a new full-frame mirrorless player in the crowded full-frame market, and hence if Fujifilm missed a chance by not going full-frame or sticking with APS-C and 
medium format was the smarter move. Now, given the fiasco that the L-Mount Alliance seems to go towards, we can say that Fujifilm avoided to make a major error by sticking with APS-C in medium format. Also, Tony seems to agree that Panasonic has no future and their failure will attract more users towards the Fujifilm X system. You can see the video down below, and of course, I'll include a link to this article in the show notes so that my listeners can check it out for themselves. Next up, nice savings on third-party Fujifilm NP-W235 batteries for the X-T4. If you're looking for affordable alternatives to the original NP-W235 batteries for the Fujifilm X-T4, today you have the opportunity to save on Wasabi third-party batteries. Click to apply the coupon code, and I'll share a link to this article in the show notes. Wasabi Power has come out with their own batteries for the Fujifilm X-T4, and they're priced at $29.99, which is a fantastic deal. They also have another option where you can get the uh, the battery in a two-pack and a dual charger for the X-T4, a dual pack and a charger for the, uh, oh, it's two, en- I don't know why there's two entries for the dual charger and battery X-T4 setup. But anyways, uh, oh, it's because one has a USB dual charger and the other one is a 110-volt wall plug-in uh, dual charger. But fantastic deals. Uh, the dual battery wall charger combo is $58.99. You save $7. And the USB dual battery and charger combo is $62.99. Um, so these are fantastic deals. You're saving $7 on both of the dual systems. You save 4 on a standalone uh, X-T4 battery. And as I've said in previous episodes, Wasabi, in my opinion, is probably the best third-party battery manufacturer. I've bought tons of their batteries for my Canon bodies over the years. I've never had a problem with a single one of them. And I tend to get more shots per charge from the Wasabi batteries than I do from the original Canon. So... Definitely a safe third-party battery you can buy. I don't personally know of anybody that's had issues with Wasabi batteries, so you can buy those with confidence, and they're now available on Amazon. Next up, Fujifilm X-S10 coming with X-T4, a like selfie screen. You guys are really getting better with a smiley face. Uh, When we shared the first rumor of the upcoming Fujifilm X-S10, many of you predicted it would have a selfie screen, or let's call it a very angle screen, which sounds more professional. Well, you were absolutely right. The Fujifilm X-S10 will indeed have a selfie screen, and to be more precise, the X-T4 selfie screen, not the unique X-T100 screen. In my opinion, unless you shoot selfie videos or photos, the three-way tilt screen of the X-T3 is the better way to go as it will always stay nicely centered to your camera and never get in the way of your strap. I wrote about how annoyed I am that my Peak Design strap always covers the X-T4 selfie screen when I tilt it out. Yep, you can tilt the X-T4 screen inwards to protect the LCD, but a ridiculously cheap X-T4 screen protector will do the same job. The real advantage of the selfie screen is one, and only one, when tilted inwards, the camera looks even more vintage, and I like that. But if you stand behind the camera and not in front, a regular three-way tilt screen is just better. 
To be fair, as a teacher during COVID-19 times, I must admit the selfie screen on my X-T4 served me very well, but if it wasn't for that, I'd see no point in selfie screens. Uh, definitely an interesting article. I do find it in, uh, funny as well. Um, and of course, I'll leave a link to this article in the show notes for this episode so you can check it out for yourself. Rumor, Fujinon XF10-24 F4 MK2 coming in October. According to our sources, the previously rumored Fujinon XF10-24 F4 MK2 will be announced in October. That's the end of the article. What? You asked me to add a comment? Well, what can I say? I own the XF10-24 F4, and I feel Fuji missed two big opportunities. It should have been weather-sealed, and it should have had a marked aperture ring. But while I can understand it's not weather-sealed, the XF10-24 was launched before Fuji even had a weather-sealed camera on the market. The lack of markings on the aperture ring is one of those big Fuji mysteries that remains unsolved, enough said. And I'll include a link to this article in the show notes. Now, I do, I, I find his comments here interesting and funny. And I understand what he's talking about when he talks about big Fuji mysteries that remain unsolved. Because one of the things that Fuji's always done that bugs the crap out of me is, okay, if you don't want to put a GPS chip in your camera so people can natively geotag their images at least for god's sakes put the communication stack in your darn firmware so that we can use third-party gps units that mount on your hot shoe or plug in through an external port or wherever the case may be you know fuji's whole thing is oh you can just use the fuji connect app to uh get your uh to get your metadata your gps tags and your photos and it's like Okay, well, number one, that drains your battery faster in the camera. It drains the battery in your iPad or iPhone faster. And number two, the thing that I don't like, and I may have to tinker with this a little bit more, the few times that I use the Fuji app to try to geotag my images, yes, the geotagging worked great. But when you had the phone connected to the camera via the app, you had to shoot your photos using the app on the phone. And I don't want to do that. I want to do my adjustments and my actual shooting on the physical camera. All I care about from the smartphone is the embedded GPS data. So like I said, I'll, maybe I have to look into that a little bit more. Maybe there's a way to turn off that remote shutter functionality and just keep the GPS connectivity. I don't know, but I definitely got to look into it because it just pisses me off that Fuji makes all these fantastic cameras. They don't put GPS in any of them, and they don't even give you the ability to use third-party GPS units in their communication stack in the firmware. It's like, come on, Fuji, get with the times. It's almost 2021 and you still can't give us something as simple and basic as GPS and a freaking camera. <laughs> All right, rant over. All right, now wrapping up this week, let's round out this episode with SonyAlphaRumors.com. First up, Optical Limits tests the Sony 200-600mm FE. Quote, it alone may be a reason for buying into the Sony system. End quote. Optical Limits published the full Sony 200-600mm FE, uh, FE and is impressed by its performance. Quote, the Sony FE 200-600 F5 6-63G OSS is not a perfect lens, but it is no less 
than a steal for the money, and it alone may be the reason for buying into the Sony system. If you are really into such long telelenses, the Sony lens is unsurprisingly very sharp in the lower to mid parts of its zoom range. At 600 millimeters, the corner quality suffers somewhat, whereas the center quality remains impressively high. Most photographers won't probably ever notice this, but there are limits when it comes to astrophotography here. Image distortions are present, but can be handled via image autocorrection correction activation. This will also take care of the lateral CA or chromatic aberrations, which are the on the high side. The native vignetting is typical for such a lens. A positive surprise is the quality of the bokeh, which is substantially better than most lenses in this class, although prime lenses are better still. The build quality of the Sony lens is superb thanks to a tightly assembled metal body. Sony also didn't forget to implement dust and moisture resistant seals. We can't emphasize enough that it is unusual for a sanely priced Super Tele zoom lens to have a constant physical size. Other than the obvious advantage regarding air movement within the lens, it also allows for a much smoother or easier zoom experience compared to the usual air pumps. The AF is pretty fast and noiseless. We all were also impressed by the real-world efficiency of the image stabilization. The Sony FE200-600 F5-6-6.3G OSS is a big and heavy lens and mounted to a small Sony camera. The setup can feel a bit unbalanced, so adding a vertical grip may be a sensible investment for improving handling. Regarding the sum of its qualities, combined with the very reasonable price tag, the verdict can only be highly recommended. Now, the Sony 200-600 FE can be bought in the USA at Amazon, B&H Photo, Focus Camera, Bydig, Adorama, and Henry's. Uh, the Sony 200-600 FE in Europe can be bought at Amazon DE, Calumet DE, Amazon UK, Wex UK, Park Cameras, Amazon FR, Amazon Italy, and Amazon Spain. The Sony 200-600 FE in Asia at Sony Japan and Sony Australia. Now, this is an extremely impressive setup. It's a 200-600mm lens. It's f5.6-6.3, which I don't have a problem with because generally people using this kind of lens are either shooting wildlife or they're shooting sports. Now, at 5.6-6.3 for most of your outdoor sports, that's going to be a fast enough or wide enough aperture. And the same for wildlife, especially when you have a high-quality camera that's capable of low-light with low noise capabilities like the Sony cameras have. Now, the crazy thing about this, this is a 200 to 600 millimeter lens that's priced at 1998 US. You heard that right, $1,998, which is a great price for a Sony G Master lens. And I'll include a link to this article in the show notes so that if you're a Sony shooter and you might be interested in buying this beast, you can click right on the link in the article and go right to the appropriate retailer for your area. Next up, the problem with the Sony a7C. The idea is great. The specs slash prices are not. The Sony a7C got a very clear and honest reaction from the Sony community. The good part, nearly everyone likes the idea to have a full-frame camera in the smaller A6X form factor. The bad, 
Specs and pricing are way off. These specs would be okay if the camera cost $1,399 or less. I think at $1,399, this would have been a great entry-level option for the masses, but Sony is asking $1,800, and for that price, I would have at least expected to get this. 4K 60p, new Sony menu system, two SD slots, same A7R4 EVF at 5.6 million dots, and a better LCD screen. The solution, as it stands today, this camera is a fail. Sony has now only one option. Give it a $400 to $500 price cut in the holiday season. As a tip for the future, don't repeat this mistake when they will release the A7C2 two years from now. P.S. I agree 100% with that camera guy, that one camera guy, um, which that one camera guy is a YouTuber, and I'll include a link to this article in the show notes. I do agree with the author of this article from Sony Alpha Rumors. That is a little bit ridiculous. With the specs that the A7C has, I agree with him that the price should have been $1,399. To be honest, I wouldn't personally pay more for this camera than about 1000 bucks. so... <laughs> But that's me personally. And, I, and I'm not bashing Sony. I'm just saying they cut the specs back so badly on this camera. It's just way, way overpriced. I mean, the RP is a much more viable option, even though it doesn't have uncropped 4K60. It does have a better menu system, and it doesn't have dual SD slots. But you can buy the RP for like 900 bucks, brand new. Now, or you could, if you needed the dual SD card slots and the uncropped 4K60, you might as well just get a Canon R6, which has this camera killed all day long as far as price and value to uh, features and capabilities. That's just my opinion. Rumor, two new, quote, super fast Sony GM Prime lenses coming in 2021. One of them will set a new record. I am 100% sure that in October, November, Sony will announce new FE lenses. One of the trusted sources told me two super fast Sony GM primes are on the roadmap. The lenses were scheduled for late summer release, but due to COVID-19 outbreak, their launch has been delayed. Update, these two primes will arrive in early 2021. All he told me for now is that both primes are spectacular, in quotes, and definitely made it uh, made to have a big wow impact in the community. One of those prime lenses will also set a quote-unquote record in the photography industry. I am now working to double-check the rumored specs I got from another second source before I post them on Sony Alpha Rumors. So you can stay tuned on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram and chat with me live on Discord to not miss any rumors. And that comes from the author of owner of Sony Alpha Rumors. All right. And the final bit of news and rumors we have this week from Sony Alpha Rumors and wrapping up the news and rumors for this episode size comparison between the New World's lightest and smallest Tamron 70 to 300 millimeter FE lens with the Sony and Sigma competition. Tamron claims their new 70 to 300 millimeter FE lens is the smallest and lightest in its class. Thanks to camera size, you can now compare its size with the competition. And there's images included in this article, which I will, of course, share in the show notes for this episode. 
The Tamarind 70 to 300 millimeter FE lens can be bought at B&H Photo, Adorama, Focus Camera, and Wex UK. And you can see from looking at it that it does look like the Tamarind is quite a bit smaller than the competition's lenses. Um, so you have the Sony 70 to 350 millimeter versus the Tamron 70 to 300 versus the Sigma 100 to 400 and the Sony 100 to 400. Um, in the second image, you have the Tamron 28 to 75, the 70 to 300, the 28 to 200, and the 70 to 180 millimeter lenses, showing you the size of those four various Tamron lenses mounted on Sony bodies. And it is definitely interesting to see the difference in length and uh, uh, among these lenses. I don't know the weights of all of them off the top of my head, and I didn't bother to look it up for this episode as far as whether or not they're right about the lens being the lightest. Uh, it is definitely smaller than the others, but whether or not it's lighter, that I'm not 100% certain on, so I'm not going to blow smoke up your skirt. All right, that is going to be a wrap on the news and rumors for this week. Now, remember to check out the Liam Photography Podcast Facebook group. It is a private group, and you must answer a security question to join. The security question is named the host of the show, which is myself, Liam. And I've also opened it up to allow you to give the names of a previous guest on the show, such as Ruben Naha, Jill Mott, John Harvell, Jeff Harmon, and Brett Bergram from the Master Photography Podcast, model, actress, and geologist Ellie Cat, and her boyfriend and partner in Adventure Dan. So any of those names will get you in as well. Now, I made it a private group so that we don't uh, hopefully prevent getting bots and spammers. Now, once you're in the group, feel free to post your own original work. Please do not share someone else's photos, even with their permissions, as that will get you banned from the group. If you would like a creative criticism or critique of your images, you can post them with the comment CC please and myself or another pro in the group would be happy to give you some pointers. Now, additionally, once in the group, be sure to enter the summer contest in which the show is giving away a KNF Concepts carbon fiber tripod slash monopod combination. The contest runs through October 25th, 2020 at midnight going into Sunday the 26th and the winner will be selected on Sunday, October 26th, 2020 and contacted to claim their prize. You can also find my work at www.liamphotography.net. You can follow me on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter at liamphotoatl. And if you like abandoned buildings and history, you can find my project at www.forgottenpiecesofgeorgia.com. Now remember, the first book goes on sale November 9th, 2020, so stay updated via the site or the Facebook group for updates on my media appearances and when I'll be doing book signings. All right, one other thing I wanted to mention before I close this week, I've been kicking around the idea of possibly doing two episodes a week. And the reason for that is I like to cover the latest news and rumors. And sometimes I'll want to cover other stuff, but there's urgent news and rumor stuff that I want to make sure my listeners hear about. So I think going forward, I might start doing a news and rumors episode every Sunday. And the reason for that is the last day of the week, Sunday, I would have all of the rumors from all four sites for that week, all the latest news and information that's going on, and then still do regular episodes every Thursday, as I've been doing for almost two years, where I would do reviews on camera bodies, lenses 
is talk about photography, tips, tricks, hacks, stuff like that, do interviews, and so on. So let me know in the comments what you think of this idea of doing two shows a week. I'm definitely up for it, and hopefully my listeners are as well. Thank you again for listening to episode 92, and I'll see you again in another seven days for episode 93. Thank you.